Let's go to the word of the Lord this morning, shall we? We're in the book of Ephesians. We are now at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. It's a short portion of Scripture, but as Paul's been describing the church, how glorious she is, from eternity past, God had predetermined a time when he would call all nations and all people into the kingdom through the church, those who are born from above and become sons of God. That's the ecclesia called out of this world to become his bride and to be equipped with the very DNA of Jesus himself, the fivefold. And now he's going to spend a minute talking about what happens when this dynamic group of people come together. When we come together, the Spirit of the Lord ministers. And I want you to understand who the church is. We're the ambassadors of the kingdom of God. When God says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he needs ambassadors to bring the will of heaven into the earth, and that comes through your mouths, your hands, and your actions. When we meet together on a Sunday, it's not to help you feel a little better because of your problems. It's to do the work of the kingdom of God. It's to administer heaven's will into situations. For the last half hour, you've been praising God, asking God to move on certain people's behalf, and the Lord has been executing angels, not executing, delivering. He's not killing any angels right now. He's sending angels out and uh, telling him to move forward into the work of the kingdom of God because you've called forth for the army of God to move. Do you realize the weight by which we stand? That the Spirit of God within us is praying and interceding for the will of God into the earth and for the needs. And so when the church comes together, it's spirit-filled worship. There's something different about the church than the Jewish synagogue that used to be or the temples to Zeus that were in the Greco-Roman Empire. No, now there's a power on the earth called the church and it is bringing the will of God into this planet. We turn to Ephesians 5 verses 18 to 21 and he says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now we're going to take that apart and we're going to see what happens dynamically when people filled with the Spirit of God gather together to, in an assembly to do the will of God and to declare His power in the earth. The first, I'm going to take you through six points here this morning and that is number one, to be filled. Two, he goes on and he says, addressing one another with songs, hymns, spiritual songs to the making melody to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always and having a mutual submission in that work. And so here's the church gathering. It's important that the church gathers. A lot of people thought that now that they learned through COVID with uh, Facebook Live or YouTube or whatever, I can stay home and watch somebody on TV. But that's not doing the ministry and the work of the church. 
We need to gather together to get the mind of Christ because you alone don't have all the gifts of the Spirit. They're given for the whole. And so we need to operate in the gifts of the Spirit one to another collectively so that we have the full manifestation of the fivefold presence of God. We need to come together to spur one another on, to teach one another, and to fellowship, to pray for each other. So don't fall for it. Don't be a lone ranger on an island by yourself. We need the body of Christ. Amen? And so his first admonition is this. He says, uh, I'm sorry, don't get drunk with wine. Don't get drunk with wine. That leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's two actions here. One is don't get drunk. That's you doing something. Don't go getting drunk. Now why is he talking about drinking to the church? Hmm, well, that's obvious, but I'll move on from that. You've got the people in Ephesus that came out of the temples of Zeus and the temples of Diana, and the way they would have their worship is that they would drink to excess to get drunk and have sex with temple prostitutes. This is the debauchery that once when they thought they were worshiping a deity, that's what they did, and he says that's stupidity and foolishness. Secondly, you've left that behind. You are no longer to uh, uh, get drunk and submit yourself to whatever self-medicating work you do. He says, don't get drunk, but be. There's a difference between getting and being. You now have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, and that is a spirit of being in Him and Him being in you. Why would you go to something else, everything else, the cigarettes, the alcohol, the drugs, the sex, everything else is an imitation of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Don't go get drunk. And and how many of you have seen on the signs of bars, it says, food and spirits. Why do you think it says spirits in there? Right? Because drunkenness gives you an altered state of consciousness which opens up to the spirit realm. Now they don't know that, but the reason they put spirits on there is because people act goofy when they're drunk. And it would seem that their spirit's taking place in their lives and they feel happy and they think they're all that when they look foolish. And so there's a contrast here. Don't get drunk, but be filled. Now, there's a lot of discussion on the, the Greek writing of this uh, phrase here, be filled. The point about it is that it is a present passive imperative. What does that mean? It is a present and it is an imperative. And it has the sense of this, be being filled. It's a continual filling. It's abiding in the filling of God. The Holy Spirit's not going to leave you. He wants to fill you, saturate you, till your cup, what? Overflows. Out of your spirit, man, into your soul, your intellect, emotion, and will. Out of your soul into your body so that your body responds to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So be being filled. Always be filled with the Spirit. Don't go get drunk. You're not going to get something. You are something. Be being filled in the Spirit. And so that's essential to our worship. 
This is a different entity in the earth than Israel. Israel were in covenant with God, but they were still in their trespasses and sin. They were still in Adam. And the best they could do was try to remember to obey the Lord. So they'd strap things around their wrists and put scripture on their foreheads and put it on their doorposts so they wouldn't forget about God. And their best effort was by their own soulishness to remember to do the things of God. But the church is now born of God's Spirit, taken out of Adam, and now born in the nature of Christ. The Spirit inhabits us, lives in us, and now we can be in the Spirit of God at all times. We don't have to try to remember the law. The law is written on our hearts, and we live it. There's a big difference. So when you gather demons quake i would hope if we're being filled with the spirit and not getting drunk on secular entertainment or getting drunk on uh christian politics and in the foolishness that the church has moved into i want to be a supernatural church how about you anybody else i want to be filled in the spirit of god now this is a really interesting point he says this addressing one another addressing one another and he goes on into psalms hymns and so addressing one another that's interesting because i've heard all sorts of sermons about all worship and worship songs should be only unto god and what's interesting here is our worship is actually addressing one another how it's encouraging us it's lifting us up how many of you have come into the house of worship downcast how many of you have come in a little bit troubled and when the worship begins and you see somebody else with hands raised and surrender to God and you hear the collective voices of the people of God you recognize I'm not alone and our worship not only of course is aimed at God but it addresses one of us oh why so downcast oh my soul put your faith in God where would we be if we didn't have the church arm in arm, holding on to each other, supporting each other? We need each other. We're addressing each other. When we gather together in a supernatural way, we're addressing one another in corporate worship. I remember trying to explain to some people, I, I, I was talking about corporate worship and they, they thought like, what, what, like at IBM they have worship? Or what do you mean corporate worship? What business is that? Corporate means together, working together corporately instead of individually. There is corporate worship and there is corporate power. And what happens when we come together to worship together is we're addressing one another. Some people come to church, you know, I want this to be a community, a fellowship of believers where you care for each other. I don't want it to be a commuter church where you just come in, sit in your seat, your main seat that you're always in. God forbid somebody sits there. But you come into your seat, you worship God, and you leave. And I would have to ask you, have you addressed one another? Why do we gather? We need each other more than ever. More than ever. We need each other for prayer and for support and encouragement. And so, when we gather together, he wants us to be filled with the Spirit of God and then pour it out on your neighbor. 
Everybody should be just saturated in the Holy Ghost in this place because you're addressing one another. Paul, in fact, says this in uh, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is almost repeating exactly what he said to the Ephesian church to the Colossian church. And so we're to admonish, admonish one another. We're to be teaching the Word of God to one another. We're supposed to be singing to one another. We're to be thankful to God to one another. So it's important. Not only are we filled with the Spirit of God, we are admonishing one another, caring and addressing one another. How? With psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The church from day one has been a singing church. How many of you know that the direct result of the Spirit coming inside people is to worship God? Is to adore the Father. When God puts His love in your heart, the immediate response is to love Him. Because God is love. And so when He puts Himself in you, you love. And you love Him first. It's the natural response of the church. What happened on the day of Pentecost? They're all just clamoring around trying to figure out this resurrection thing. This is awesome. Jesus is alive. What do you want to do next? I don't know. Let's go to the feast. It's Passover. We should be there. We're worshiping. Okay. Yeah, the feast. Oh, he's Passover. Oh, isn't that amazing? What's going on? Dude, you got fire on your head. What? Psst, ah, you got it too. What's going on? Mighty rushing wind. All of a sudden, the Spirit falls into them. And what's the first thing they do? Praise God. It says that they begin speaking in all the languages uh, of the people around them at that time. And as they're speaking out these languages, uh, Luke tells us that they are speaking the decrees of God. They're declaring the goodness of God. They're praising God. That's what happens when the Spirit of God gets in you. Spiritual worship is integrating with heaven. This is what brings heaven to earth is the worship of God. And what's so sad is so many churches that you Pentecostal people, you just stop all this praise and all this worship and all this ooh spirit stuff. I can't help it. Heaven's in me. That's what they do up there. I'm going to do it down here. Amen. And there's different ways to do it. Yes, there are times when it's quiet. Yes, there's times when it's reverent. Yes, it's times when we're reading and saying the same things. So confessionally, we're in agreement decreeing God. But it comes from the Spirit of God. And he lists three kinds of worship that takes place in the church. The first are psalms. Now, it's very important that when we're talking about this, we don't overlay a 21st century mindset on Paul, okay? When he says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, he's not talking about the, the Reformation hymns or the Wesleyan hymns or your particular preference of worship. He's talking about what was going on in that day. So what psalms is he talking about? The psalms of David, Scripture. 
So the early church would recite and sing the Psalms of David. They would be encouraged to sing the Psalms of David. Psalm 27 says this, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. That sounds like a tune I could sing. I like that. How about you? It's so funny, you know, there was such criticism about modern worship today. We have worship wars, which... I wouldn't dare enter into, of course, if they're off, but it's such a Western mindset to criticize somebody's style of worship. You haven't been around the world. If, if you go to Africa and you hear the worship there, if you, if you go to China and hear the worship there, it makes no sense to criticize whether they, they hold out, uh, they have a beat. Look, at you ain't got a beat in Africa, you're not worshiping. Africa's a dance party. This thing, once worship starts, it busts loose and the whole place is hopping. And someone would say, oh, that is not worship, based on my European understanding of worship. Right? It doesn't make sense. You criticize the worship in China. I've been in China in worship, and because we're locked in rooms with paper on the windows, because we can't let anybody hear us worship, they worship in song silently with tears running down their eyes, as quiet as they could be. Come on, proclaim Jesus! I was in Pakistan, and I was preaching, uh, and we, the people would dare to come out, and we had a uh, an area where people were here and they came to hear the word and I was preaching the word and I said, shout his name, Jesus! And they went, Jesus! <laughs> and it dawned on me, you shout the name Jesus in Pakistan and the Muslims are going to be all over you for that. And I realized what a fool I was to have them do what they can't do. But let's get past these, these religious uh, wars. If you go on YouTube, you can see, you know, don't sing this church's songs, they're of the devil. They have a backbeat or they have this or they do that. You know, come on. So we sing psalms, the psalms of David. We sing scripture. And many of our songs that we sing are based on scriptures, based on the psalms, so that the word of God gets in us and we are addressing one another with scripture. Uh, many of us would be surprised at what the early church probably sounded like as far as worship. You might think it was way too liturgical for you. Let's not, let's not uh, put down people who have liturgy. The idea of liturgy means we the people are speaking in unison the will of God. Can we do that? Amen? And so that's what psalms are. What are hymns? What are hymns? Well, I know hymns. Uh, Holy, 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 right? Early in the morning. Well, that's, that's, that was written uh, way later than Paul. What's Paul talking about? Praise him, praise him, praise him in the morning, praise him. No, 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 no. You're putting your idea of what a hymn is on Paul. So what does hymn mean? At this time period, Paul is actually using the same Greek word that's used for the anthems and the songs that were sung in the temples in Rome. They're heroic songs. They're songs of valor, victory. And he uses that term because they're going to sing scripture songs, but they're also going to sing anthems. 
And what are the anthems about? It's, there's a very famous letter by Pliny who wrote to the emperor Trajan who wanted him to investigate this cult, this group called Christians, those who follow this Jesus. And according to Pliny, he said this, they sing hymns to Christ as to a God early in the mornings. The church, again, was birthed in worship and when they gather, they sing to Christ as to a God. Even Pliny understood that and knew that this separated them from Judaism. And it took them not just quoting scriptures, but they began to sing anthems. One of the very first anthems we believe is recorded in scripture by Paul. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. And that would be a hymn that they would sing, and it had theology, and the people learned it and understood it. And so worship is to speak the Word of God. Worship is to proclaim the anthem of God. And last of all, our spiritual songs. And here's where we differentiate from just an average religious group getting together and singing their religious songs. Something is of another dimension with Christianity, and that would be spiritual songs. The idea of spiritual songs are being filled with the Spirit, and we begin to sing in the Spirit. Not only are we singing out of our reasoning, cognitive mind, not only are we singing from our heart with emotion, but we are engaging the spirit man within and the spirit of God is singing and praising. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15, I will sing praise with my spirit and I will sing with my mind. He makes a division here between his soul and his spirit. And he says the Christian church can sing with their mind. We should because we're caring for one another. We're admonishing. We're addressing one another. We're speaking in unity together. But then there is a time where I will sing with my spirit. And it takes it into a spiritual dimension where then the gifts of God flow and move and we can hear tongues and interpretation or prophecies or revelations and uh, words of knowledge and so forth. Many churches are shutting that down. And this is scriptural. And so we have to learn to move and flow. The church is a supernatural gathering of people. And our first work is as the day of Pentecost. In fact, what did they say about the church on the day of Pentecost? What was their criticism about those guys and gals? They must be what? Drunk. Don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. It's nothing artificial, nothing fake to, to change and alter your mood, but be in the Spirit of God, ministering one to another in songs and in hymns and in spiritual songs. That's full-bodied worship to God. And he goes on and he says, what are we doing? Well, we are singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Singing is 
speaking the words of songs together, making melody, singing in spiritual songs. Sometimes there is just a a flow of melody that we're singing together to the Lord with your heart. That's what we're doing. Do you know the first order of the church is to worship Jesus? Is to exalt Him. And again, I reference the day of Pentecost. The very first reaction was to give glory to God for all of His great works. That's our first order, is to exalt the Lord. And in doing that, we're addressing one another and increasing one another's faith. That's why the first order of business when we come in this church is to worship God. Everything else will be put in place. Everything else. And while we're worshiping, God's doing something. But what's interesting here is he says, singing make melody to the Lord. But he says this, with your heart. Now how many of you have come into a worship service singing with your head? I have, you know. It's like, I'm not into this today. I don't know. I don't even like that song. (laughs) Whatever. I love you, Jesus. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to handle this situation. Right? You're in your head. But the way Paul writes this and in the language, what he's saying is with the instrument of your heart. Like your heart would be in a, a guitar. You're playing your praise on your heartstrings. It's not just mouthing the words. You know, a lot of people say this. You know, just bring a sacrifice of praise. Because a sacrifice is, is just die to yourself. You really don't even want to be there. It's a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice is that? That sounds like a lame one. And God doesn't want lame sacrifices. Does He? Without blemish, without spot. And so we say what a sacrifice of praise is. Praise Him even when you don't want to. And i got to ask the question, why don't you want to? I'm just not feeling it. Oh, well, how about Him not feeling you today? What? You're praying? Ah, not into you today. You're in need? Ah, Not feeling it. Not feeling it. Could you imagine if God's faithfulness was like ours? Sacrifice of praise is not about you praising God because you don't feel like it. It's praising God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and body. It is giving everything you have, your time, your effort, your finance, your life to God because He gave you everything. And so we're to praise Him in song and in melody with the instrument of our hearts. And when we begin to praise Him with our hearts, then our spirit man begins to praise as well. And we're praising through our mind and we're praising out of our spirit. Making melody to the Lord with your heart. And we use words to convey this. Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And so we give thanks to Him. And we praise Him. And that's, that's the next thing He says. Giving thanks always he says give thanks always and for everything so we gather Sundays if you can come out on a Wednesday that's great that's cool and if you can think of something to give him thanks for right well nothing good happened today can you give thanks to this verse says giving thanks 
How often? Always. For what? Everything. Even the bad things? Everything. Because you don't know the dimension that that thing came to you with and what God's going to do with it. Always and for everything. Now, I thank God for the miracle of science. It's amazing. Science has done studies now. Scientists and psychologists have done studies on gratitude. And guess what they've found? Gratitude is life-changing. Thankfulness will change your life. Now, how would we have ever found that out if we didn't have scientists to help us? Maybe if we trusted the Word of God, who is the great psychologist and the one who created all things, the reason, why should we praise Him? Is God that insecure? Right? I don't know if I'm a good God today. I don't know if I did enough for my kids. Like our parenting, right? I think I ruined them. How many of you thought you wrecked your kids because you disciplined them or you yelled at them? It's like, oh no, I think I, oh no, gee whiz. They're going to be ruined forever because of me and my parenting. Do you think God's that insecure? Somebody praise me, please. I just... (laughs) Why do we praise God? Because he needs it. He doesn't need it. It's for our benefit. He wants you to understand the joy, the love, the peace, the goodness, the faithfulness that is in Him so that you'll participate in it and you will receive it and know it. So enter into this love relationship with me so that you can know who you are and who I am. Gratitude and gratefulness will produce a change in you. And so if you praise God always for everything, worshiping Him, you are going to be changed from glory to glory to glory with an ever-increasing glory. Let me give you the ten things that they discovered gratitude does for someone if they're thankful. Number one, it improves your self-worth. You begin to feel better about yourself. You recognize that you're thankful for all that God gave you instead of being bummed out all the time. Secondly, it improves your energy and your health. Thirdly, it makes us happier and more optimistic. Fourth, it makes you more resilient to deal with adversity. Five, a more generous and forgiving person. As you give thanks to others because of the gratitude you have, you're patient and tolerant with other people. Six, it keeps you in the present moment instead of thinking about the past. I am grateful for what I do have. I'm content. Seven, do you become happier and you notice the present and what is around you? Eight, your stress is lowered, your anxiety is less, and your thought life is based on what you're thankful for. You become more generous and kind to others. It improves your relationships. It provides perspective and helps you look for the good in your life. And that's what the scientists came up with. So why should we worship God thanking Him for all things all the time? Because the benefit is astounding. Because you're participating in the nature of God 
and his love poured out on you and your gratitude back to him redounds back to him and pours back out on you and you pour it out on all the others and everybody is changed and that's Christianity changed from the inside out by worshiping God. So don't think. We've... Some people don't like to sing. That's all right, just, just say something. Some folks wait till the worship's over and then come in because they want to hear the word. You're missing the benefits of what God has prescribed for your well-being. Worship is essential. Let's just sing a couple hymns, get this over with, and let's get right to the word. This is the essential part of the dynamic of the Holy Spirit doing work in us. Last of all, mutual submission. What it, submitting to one another in reference for Christ. Why? Because you can't get a group of people, a room filled of people, just going ahead and moving in the Spirit without some problems. The Corinthian church had the problems. They had all the spiritual gifts. How many of you know that? But the Corinthian church was a mess. There's talking out in tongues all the time. Somebody's prophesying, Jesus is accursed. Paul said, you can't say that by the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. They're coming together to have communion together. And some people bring picnic baskets. They're chowing down and eating while other people are starving and they're not sharing their food. They got divisions in the church. One's of Apollos, one's of Peter. That's a spirit-filled church. That's a mess. So, you know, you have a group of people and then you allow the gifts to flow. That's why a lot of churches shut it down. It's too dangerous. Some knucklehead will say something crazy and someone else will back up and then this thing gets out of hand and somebody's running around and this and that. But you know what? You can have freedom of worship. You can have the spirit move when we mutually submit one to the other and to the lordship of Jesus and mutually submit to, to the order of the service letting the Holy Spirit lead and guide us. It can be done because God wants it done. Does that make sense to you? So we leave room for people to speak. We leave room for people to sing and to shout and to dance. We make room for worship. We make room for the Word of God. We make room for someone to share a testimony. We make room for someone to say, I got something to say. We make room for this as it's done decently and in order. And we can do that, can't we? Should we? Amen. And so this is what Paul's saying about the church. Harmony, unity and harmony in the move of the Spirit. And that's what he instructs the Corinthian church in. And he teaches them how to have this kind of spiritual worship, not getting drunk with debauchery, but being filled in the Spirit of God, addressing one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to God from our hearts, giving thanks at all times to God and submitting to one another in reverence to Christ Jesus. That is the worship of the church. And what you don't see on a given Sunday is what is happening in the heavenlies. The demonic realm is being shattered. The work that they've been working on all week to establish strongholds 
and oppressions is being torn down as the church worships and exalts the Lord over this community. People broken and weak and desperate come into the assembly and through worship and praise and giving thanks, they are changed and altered and have victory to come out of this place and go forth into the world once again. That's what happens when the church comes together for worship. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for giving us the ability to worship. The ability, oh Jesus, to be thankful and to sing our praise together. I pray, Lord God, that we would grow in our worship, that we would sing from our hearts and sing with our spirit. Wash over us, refresh us, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.